Well, hello, everybody. We're back. It's the weekend, and uh, we are going to continue in our series, uh, Peace in the Panic. And as you know, if you've been following, um, I've been taking you through Psalm 23. This would be our fourth message in that part of the series uh, with one more next weekend. I'm going to finish verse 4 today is what I'm going to do. And next week, we'll do verse 5 and verse 6. Um, <clears throat> I want to take you back to a time that I, my best guess is possibly somewhere between four to six months before I ever became a Christian, before I, I placed my faith in Jesus Christ. Um, I was either 22 or about to be 23 or 23, somewhere in that frame right there. So it's a long time ago. Um, I couldn't tell you that I really believed in Jesus Christ. Uh, I kind of thought there probably was a God. I, you know, I didn't know anything about him um, per se. And so um, I was kind of stumbling around like that. I wasn't sure if he did exist. Did he not exist? Did he exist? And so... I want to take, uh, I want to go back in time to, to visit a moment in that season of my life um, before I get into today's message because I think it's really important. Um, uh, I want to go back to verse 1 again and read some there and then I want to give you an example for my past because I, I think what I'm going to say first here might really kind of help or nudge someone along that just might be listening to me that is wondering why they're feeling what they're feeling, but you're not a follower of Christ, or you know, you've maybe thought about it, but you've never given your heart, or maybe you walked away from God, and I think this is important. So it says in Psalm 23, 1, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Okay, so I'm driving about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and I'm listening to a certain uh, scholar. I like listening to scholars. And... Um, <clears throat> he was talking on, and I like I like to listen to them talk about the existence of God and the evidence for the resurrection. I just enjoyed things like that. But then um, <clears throat> he made this statement in the middle of it, and he gave a few statements, and, I, and it just it just hit me, and I just couldn't get out of my head. I thought it was so practically true, and I and it and it took me back in time. He said this. He said loneliness is a terrible thing when you've exhausted pleasure. Let me say it again. Loneliness is a terrible thing when you've exhausted pleasure. Let me tell you what he meant, because he qualified. He said, when a person doesn't believe in God or you know, skeptic, whatever it is, they're alone. And, and the most horrifying thing that can happen at that time is that when you're alone and you don't believe there's a God and there comes a time in your life when pleasure no longer brings you pleasure. That's a terrible place to be. When, when no God and pleasure no longer brings you pleasure. Let me take you a real life example 40 years ago in my life. Because this is, this is how it hit me. I was a 22, 23-year-old godless man and there was a specific 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 season and time moment in my life I will never I'll never forget it I was sitting on my bed and I remember the thought was so strong in my head because 
I, I thought, is this all there is? And I remember thinking that. Because things had become boring. Everything that used to give me pleasure, and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not making stuff up. Everything that used to give me pleasure in my life wasn't bringing me pleasure anymore. And I surely wasn't a follower of Jesus Christ. What brought me pleasure back then? That's simple. Alcohol, Las Vegas, women, and bas playing basketball. And that's what it was for me. And it, frankly, it was not bringing me the pleasure it once brought me anymore. And I thought, something's wrong. Something, and I didn't know what it was because, my gosh, I wasn't a follower of Christ in any way, shape, or form. <clears throat> but to be alone and not know God and not be a follower of Christ, and then what brought you pleasure no longer brings you pleasure, let me tell you something about that. It's a terrible place to be. Somebody out there, you're in that place. You're in that place right now. You're looking around and you're thinking, all these things that once brought you pleasure, they don't anymore. And in fact, you and I both know from our experiences that you've got to go further and further and further into it to try to find the same level of thrill that once brought you pleasure. And you know that. Because it always takes you further and further in. Now listen, listen closely to me. When I read Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Think about what David is saying with what I just talked about. The Lord is my shepherd. What does he say? I'm not alone. I'm not alone. He says, I shall not want. He says, ah, there is a pleasure in life, but it's based on the Lord is my shepherd. It's based in God. That only God can bring that level of pleasure. It never runs out in God. And you know what? I've been walking with the Lord, gosh, um, almost 41 years. And I can tell you, that's true. That's exactly true. And so I really felt a deep conviction that I needed to share what I just shared for somebody out there. Because maybe pleasure has run its course and and you're not a follower of Christ, you're a skeptic, you walked away from God, and you might be struggling with the thoughts, you know, what, what's the point of life? Well, the point is you're missing the point of life. The point is Jesus Christ. See, the thing you've always been searching for or walked away from has been Jesus Christ. When the prodigal walked away from home, what did he go looking for? He went looking for the best food, the fanciest clothes. Remember that? Nice hip shoes. And you know what? Ran out of it. Ran out of everything. Comes home. What did the father give him? Nice hip clothes. Nice shoes. Cool ring. Bling, bling. Guess what? Everything, everything that he thought he wanted, everything that he thought he was missing was always in his father's house. And that's a word for somebody out there. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm not alone. I shall not want. Only God can bring me that kind of pleasure and contentment in my life. And he can bring it to you, my friend. So my, my strong urging to you is at the end of this teaching, give your life to Christ. Place your faith in him. And you know what? And never, ever look back again. And watch what Jesus can do. Because you know what? There is more to life than this. So let's continue with the psalm. 
We're looking at the peaceful heart. Number one, I believe I have two points in a lot of different directions for you today. First off, the peaceful heart will experience worst case, but practices best faith. The peaceful heart experiences worst case, but practices best faith. Verse four of Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and we covered that pretty, pretty elaborately two weeks ago. He says, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Mm. What we want to do right now, let me do some remodeling in your mind. You know, because I do love those shows where, you know, they come and see a house. You know, nothing's been done at that house for like 80,000 years. And they'll come in and they'll say, we can knock off this wall, we can do this and this and that. And they're going to make it all new. And it gives the house a whole new cool flow. And it's got all kinds of cool new this and that. And it's really neat. They've remodeled it. Let, let us start to remodel the thinking. And this is a lifelong process. Now, in Psalm 23.3, backing up a verse, he says this. He says, he guides me in the paths of righteousness. We talked about that three weeks ago. Now, the question is, who is guiding the follower of Christ? Well, God is. We, we covered that. Now, the bigger question is this. <clears throat> Where has the follower of Christ been led through? He's been led through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, we know this is ultimately talking about physical death and that we know there is a life beyond and that physical death is just a shadow. There's a real on the other side, my friend, for the fall of Christ. Now, <clears throat> here's what I want to remodel. Here's what I want to change over. He says, <clears throat> I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Huh. Even though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. You know what the word evil means? It's really interesting. It means displeasing or anything that brings pain. I will fear nothing displeasing and I will fear nothing that brings pain. Okay, Christian. Let's remodel. Why is it, where is it, how is it that we get into our minds that somehow now that I'm a Christian, I have this trump card somewhere that whenever pain comes my way or life goes wrong that I can just play the card and God's going to get me out of the pain when we believe stuff like that you know what we're in trouble because you and I both know that things don't resolve that quickly and God grows us through the pain but if you think that God is going to eliminate it right away you're going to give up on God pretty quickly because you're going to think he's let you down or he's abandoned you and he's nowhere to be found or he doesn't even exist. And Satan is going to come in with all kinds of lies based on your feelings of what should be versus what really is. Now, <clears throat> I want you to think sequence now. Now, think sequence in this passage. David goes from peaceful pastures to still waters and being led by God into the valley of the shadow of death. And then he announces... I will fear no evil. I will fear nothing displeasing. I will fear nothing that brings pain. What's he saying? He's saying, look, I've experienced worst case, 
but I will practice best faith. Same with you and I. We will experience worst case, but we practice best faith. That's what the peaceful heart does. Now, my big question is this, because it's easy to say that. The better question is, how? How in the world, when I'm experiencing worst case, how do I practice best faith? Come on, preacher, come on. Tell me how, because that's a bigger question. I think it goes back to 23.3 in, in Psalm. He says, he restores my soul. Oh, when I experience worst case, David says, I practice best faith. Why? Because my mind is being remodeled and transformed, my thinking. In other words, um, David is saying, I look at it through God's eyes now. I don't look at it through the culture's eyes or what some contrary voice is saying apart from the word of God. Mm -mm. I stick to the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Jesus is my shepherd. See, I follow his lead. Now listen, somebody out there, listen. <clears throat> I follow his lead. I don't follow my crazy emotions. Oh, you've met that person, haven't you? That other side of you? The crazy emotions? Some of you out there get so worked up so fast emotionally and you're not even thinking straight anymore. You're surely not thinking biblically anymore. Look, I love emotions. I, I, I love them. But you cannot be led by those emotions. You must be led by transformed thinking, the word of God. You know what the emotions are to give you a vivid picture? The emotions are the caboose of our life. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've sat at many a railroad track watching a train go by waiting forever for that thing to cross, and I've never seen a caboose pulling the train. Have you? No. The engine pulls it. See, I'm led by the spirit of God. These words are spirit. I never let the caboose, I never let my emotions at least I try never to lead me in the paths that God wants me to. So i got to be careful with stuff like that. So in my remodel thinking, I've got to learn that the word of God is remodeling my thinking. That's primary instead of my emotions. My emotions should not be running me. Now, <clears throat> I want to show you a remodeled mind, how it works. And then I want to show you a, res a one result of a remodeled mind. Okay? Uh, turn with me to... Uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 3, it's, you know, for some of you long-term followers of Christ, yeah, you, got, you know these verses, but let me connect it uh, uh, here. And, and these are verses that you might want to commit to memory. They're great. Watch what it says in Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. The writer says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Hmm. And do not lean on your own understanding, Jim. He says, don't lean on your own discernment, wisdom, understanding. That's what the Hebrew word understanding means. Don't do it, Jim. In all your ways, in, in other words, in everything that I do and everything that I say and everything which way I'm going to go, acknowledge him. Him. Hmm. And he will make your paths straight. I think we all want that. Now, that's a remodeled mind. You know what happens if I live this? 
if I start to put it into practice, I'll give you one big one here. Same chapter, now watch this, verses 21 to 26, Proverbs 3, it says, My son, let them not vanish from your sight. What's them? It's the wisdom of God. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Ah. So, so they will be life to your soul and adornment around your neck. Then you will walk in your way securely. How many people need security in their hearts? And your foot will not stumble. You're not going to fall. Watch this. Verse 24. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. How many of you have night terrors? Huh? Try to go to sleep and your mind's filled with anxiety all over the place. You know it. You know it. You will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden fear. In other words, sudden instant fear. Boom, something happens. And that happens a lot, doesn't it? Nor the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. Verse 26. The peace that resistance. The Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Oh, come on, man. Look at that. You piece it all together. The restored mind. It does not lean on its own emotions, but instead leans on the word of God in everything. One of the great things about it is you're not going to be filled with fear. You're not going to go to bed filled with anxiety. You're going to have peace and your sleep will be sweet. Isn't that awesome? You know what's cool about that? It said there in uh, verse 23 of Proverbs uh, 3, it says, you will walk your way security. You know what? That's a big deal. Because that's what David did. He walked. Though I walk. Remember he says that? So let's point two. Let's take it there. The peaceful heart, point two, walks. Psalm 23, verse four, and it says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now, now think about it. He says, I'm not running through this. He's not running scared. He's not panicked. He's not running in fear. He walks. Ah, he walks. There's peace in his heart. Okay, let's think about that now. How many decisions have you made in your life or I made in my life because we were filled with anxiety or fear? How many times have we hurried something because of fear? How many times have we felt like so anxious, I, I got to do something, and then you do something, and it's just wrong, and it makes it worse. When we should have, in peace and calm, walk through it. Just walk through it. Because when you're calm and your crazy emotions aren't getting you, you can think clearly. Because you're not getting wound up by whatever someone said on TV or somebody said on Facebook or whatever the neighbor said or whatever this person said, you're staying in the word of God and you're staying calm. And your peace will be sweet. You know what? How many people have, it's tough for you to fall asleep because of all the bad decisions. 
And we said to go, why did I, why did I, why didn't I, why did I, why didn't I, why did You know, walk, walk securely, lean on his understanding and watch. David walks, he walks in the valley of shadow death. He doesn't run. Now, what does David call the valley that he walks through? He calls it a shadow, a shadow of death. Now, let me try to, I'll try to put this in a, in a perspective. I'm gonna, this is a, a, one of those Jim Del Campo uh, stupid stories that really happened. Okay, I've been a backpacker for 40 years. I've been going to the High Sierras for um, 40 years. And the first time I went, we went out of Sequoia uh, National Park and uh, took this trail 17 miles in out of Crescent Meadows and uh, <clears throat> to a lake, uh, Tamarack Lake. It was the longest trail to this day I think I've ever taken. 17 in, 17 out. Now, I was brand new. I, I didn't know anything. So when we get there, of course, they're telling us the first evening, get all your stuff in your, in your stuff bag that held your sleeping bag, and you put all your hygiene, food in there, everything, tie a rope on it, throw the rope over a tree branch, pull it up, tie the rope to another tree so the bears can't get it because they are coming. Let me tell you something. When they tell you bears are coming and you're 17 miles in and you can't walk out in the middle of the night and you can't call the police or anybody else or help you, man, that can be terrifying. And it was. So I go to bed. It's a windy night and there's a full moon that night. I will never forget it. I go to bed and I'm laying on my right side. I remember turning over on my left side and right here against the tent, because there was two of us in the tent, the moonlight was hitting my tent and I saw it. I saw the bear right there. I saw the silhouette and there's the head. The sil I saw everything and I'm sitting there just staring at it. I was terrified out of my mind. I thought, this is going to eat me. This is it. This is where Jim Del Campo ends. Olivia will never marry me. I hadn't met her yet. And I'm sitting there for 15, 20 minutes, and I'm, I'm scared. But then this thought comes into my mind. It can't be a bear. It hasn't moved. But how many of you know when your mind is going crazy, it doesn't matter what you're logically thinking, because huh? it's got to be a bear. And if I make a noise or move, he's going to scrape right through that tent. He's going to take me and run off with me. And I thought to myself, I, it, it, it can't be real. It can't be real. But it's right there. And I'm scared. So I finally said, you know what? I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to go to sleep. And if he eats me in the night, then he eats me in the night. At least I'll be asleep when he kills me. So I go to sleep. I wake up the next morning. I'm still alive. Now I gotta, I gotta find out what's going on out there. I get out of my tent. I walk outside, I look at it, you know what it was? On our little tents, they had these dew covers for the moisture. The wind had blown the dew cover off onto the side of my tent in a, in a silhouette with the full moon hitting it. It looked like a bear, but it wasn't a bear. You know what it was? It was a shadow. There was no substance to this thing at all. See, here's what, here's what I think David is saying. See, there are so many things in life that are just shadows. 
and we're afraid of shadows. And the substance he's saying is the Lord is my shepherd. The substance is God. See, the big question is, what is it? What's, what's your substance, the shepherd or the shadow? Which is it? And I know it's so easy for me to say here, you know, get over the fear, get over this. But the real question is, how is the mind being remodeled? See, the shepherd brings peace to my heart. The shadow brings a fear and a crazy emotion to my mind. It was a shadow. It couldn't hurt me. It was a shadow. Though I walked up the valley, the shadow of death. I fear no evil. Guys, <clears throat> see, when we walk in fear, I think it's quite obvious that we're really saying we're orphans because David said, the Lord is my shepherd. He's saying, I'm not an orphan. But when I walk in the fear of the shadows of life, I'm really saying I'm an orphan. God's not going to be there for me. <clears throat> now, When I was in elementary school, Jim, you're telling a lot of old stories. I know, but they just popped into my mind for this message. Uh, some of you have to remember these days in your life. Whenever a family member, an old family member would pass away, and my mom and dad would say, we're going to the wake. Anybody remember a wake? Raise your hand. Remember the wakes? Oh, my gosh. You've never been to a Mexican wake, though. You haven't lived. Remember, they dragged me there. And people are crying and this and that. I don't even want to be here going. And then you get there. And, and, and then when you get there, you know what they make you do, your parents? You're going to walk up to the casket. Are you kidding me? It's like child abuse. And I'm like, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And they're going to go make you look at Auntie so-and-so in the casket. It doesn't even look like her anymore. But here you get closer and closer. And you're hoping like the world will end before you get there. And you get up there, and people are touching her hand and saying, oh, she used to make this and cook this way. And I want to touch her. Man, in my mind, I'm thinking, she's going to reach up and grab my hand. I'm like seven years old. I'm, I'm, I'm terrified of these things. But they make me walk up to that casket and look in there. And I couldn't get out of there fast enough. Then you know what happened? I grew up. I got older. I walked up to many caskets. I've seen many people that have passed in the casket. Doesn't scare me one bit. You know why? Because I grew up. I grew up. See, when I grew up in my faith, when I grew up in my faith and my mind starts to be remodeled and transformed, it's just a shadow. It's just a shadow. I'll fear no evil. It's just, it's just a shadow. <clears throat> whatever the valley, whatever the difficult situations happen my way, it's the worst case, but I can experience great faith. I can practice that in my life. Now, <clears throat> that gives me a piece of my heart. Now, I want you to watch this. <clears throat> watch this, please. Turn to Acts chapter 12. I'm going to drive this home now. This is, this, is, this, is, this is it. Acts chapter 12. In Acts chapter 12, we find Peter has been arrested for preaching the gospel. 
Don't be surprised somewhere in the future of America this, this stuff starts to happen as we preach against certain things that the Bible says are immoral, immoral practices, but now society says, no, they are morally right. So don't be shocked one day. Verse 3 says this of Acts 12. When he saw that it, was, that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. He had just had James killed. James was the first martyr of the original uh, disciples. He's not the brother of Jesus. This is James, the brother of John. He's been killed now for preaching the gospel. <clears throat> Herod sees that everybody's happy that they've killed the Christian. That's pretty wild, huh? That happens in all kinds of countries in the world. He proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now, it was during the days of unleavened bread. You know what that means? It's, it's Easter week. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him. You know, because he's dangerous, he's preaching the gospel. Intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently. You know what fervently means? Agony. It means to stretch. It means the Christians are praying. They're not messing around. They're praying made fervently by the church to God. So they're praying for Peter. Verse 6. Here's watch, watch this. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward. In other words, the night before Peter could be dying in the, the next day or in the morning. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and guards in the front of the door were watching over the prison. What? What? You're going to die in the morning and you fall asleep? Your sleep will be sweet like it says in Proverbs 3, 21 and 26. What? He's asleep. He's asleep. Now, my question is, how? Why? Watch this. Turn one book back to John 21. 21, verse 18. Watch. This is the day Jesus goes and talks to Peter on the shores of Galilee when Peter feels like the biggest loser because he denied Jesus and Jesus is going to reinstate him because that's what Jesus does. He gives grace and mercy and forgiveness. And he turns Peter from a loser to the leader of the entire thing. Isn't that something? <laughs> and you get mad when God changes a person's life and puts him in a position of leadership. That's just too soon. Puts him in right away. Watch. Verse 18. These are Jesus' words. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, Peter, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. What? what, what? You know why Peter can sleep? Know he's going to die in the morning? Because what did Jesus tell him years before? Peter, when you're old, when you're old, you're going to die a martyr's death. 
So Peter's laying in that prison, and he's, and he's going to sleep to that song, You're still a young man, baby. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm, I'm a young man. I can't die. I'm not dying tomorrow. Because Jesus told me I would die a martyr's death as an old man. <sighs> he's got a peaceful heart. He believes God's word. He believes what Jesus said. That's a remodeled mind. You know what I really love about that? When you're old, it means that Peter will never lose steam. He will never lose spiritual steam. How many people have lost spiritual steam in their life, and the older they get in the Lord, the less potent they are. They've lost steam. I went to the beach <clears throat> to go see the, the plankton one night. This, this past week, and uh, you could barely catch a little bit of light blue here and there, and just barely. And you had to look really hard because it was running out. Not too much light anymore in that. How many Christians like that one? Lose steam, running out, the light's diminishing. Now, Peter, he stays fiery till the end. And because he does, and because his mind is remodeled, he lies there in bed knowing that they're going to kill him in the morning, but he says, nah, I have peace. Because Jesus said, I'm going to live to be an old man, and I will die a martyr's death as an old man, and I trust God's word. Isn't that something? All of us can have that. All of us can have that peace by trusting in God's word and not leaning on our own crazy emotions. All of us. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they come for me. Now, if you are out there watching me on this uh, program today and you're not a follower of Christ, remember what I said in the very beginning? It's a terrible thing to be alone when pleasure runs out and things don't bring you pleasure like they once did. Where do you turn? What do you do? Jesus told a woman one time who had five husbands, so she was living pretty um, promiscuously. And she's living with another man. He says, you know, he who drinks of, the water, of that water will thirst again, but he who drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. Are you looking for the real now versus the shadows of life? The real is Jesus. And he can bring contentment and peace and joy. And he can restore pleasure in a morally healthy, biblical way to your life if you give him a chance. But more than that, he can save you from yourself, and he can save you from eternity in hell. Well, I don't believe in hell. Well, you don't believe now. It's easy to say that. But when you stand before Jesus one day, it's going to be a whole other ball game, huh? So you and I can, in our little finite little world, can act all, all tough all we want, like I don't believe there is that. Well, yeah, really? Why do you stand before God? Then tell him I don't believe in hell. And he says, oh, really? I do. So I'm going to give you a chance. I want to give you an opportunity. Place your faith in Jesus. Become a follower of Christ. You might even have family sitting around you right now during this pandemic saying, please, please give your life to Christ. Please. They might have been praying for you fervently like they prayed for Peter. Jesus died for you. He carried your sins, mine, every person on the planet's sins on that cross. They killed him. He took the wrath, your wrath, my wrath, because of our sins. He was buried. Three days later, he rose from the dead to give us new life. 
And he offers that salvation and forgiveness of sins to you and me. I took him up on that offer almost 41 years ago. I'm going to give you the opportunity right now to take him up on the offer. But you have to take him up on it. It's not automatic. So if you're not a follower of Christ and you'd like to become one today for the rest of your life, great. Or maybe you backslid, you walked away. And you're somewhat of a skeptic now in the way you live. Oh, but down deep in your gut, you know you still believe that Jesus is God. It's time to come back. It's time to come back. So I'm going to say this prayer. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus and you'd like to, or if you've backslid and you want to come back again, rededicate, repeat this prayer, and all I'm asking you guys to do is just believe in Jesus Christ. Place your trust and faith in him. I'm going to say the prayer. I'm going to block it out so you can repeat it out loud after me. If you're with people, say it in your mind if you feel funny. But say it and believe it. Here we go. Repeat after me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for shedding your blood. For allowing yourself to be tortured. To take the wrath of God. My wrath upon your body for my sins. Thank you. Forgive me my sins. I know I'm forgiven. I place my faith in you today as my God, Lord, and Savior. Today, I follow you for the rest of my life. Now let me pray for you. You can keep your eyes open, closed, whatever you want to do. Let me pray. God, I pray for those of you who have given your life to Christ or rededicated your life. Oh, I pray that you now experience God in ways like you never thought you could because he's personal and he loves you. I pray that the Lord will reveal himself to you through his word of God. Get into fellowship when those church doors open again. Get in a church and start to experience the greatness of God. Worship him. Turn from sin. Turn from sin. Ah. I thank you, Jesus, and I pray you're covering upon them all. I plead the blood of Jesus upon everybody. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm glad you prayed that prayer, and if you did, follow up on it. I would have you talk to the people around you that are Christians, get you a Bible, start reading in the New Testament, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, stay in there for six months to a year, just learn about Jesus, learn about him, get into a church that teaches the Bible, all those things, and watch what God begins to do in your life because the Holy Spirit now lives in you by faith. Isn't that cool? That's right. Well, that concludes our time for today. I really enjoy sharing with you and teaching the Bible. I'm glad you're listening. So with that said, I'll give you my digital hug, which I do all the time until I get to see in person. Love you guys. Uh, can't wait to see you and hug you in the flesh. So God bless you. See you later.